All right, hey, welcome to HIT. This is Chris Ciccinelli. We're talking everything high-intensity tactics for growth. And today, I'm telling you, we have some amazing guests. You know, I love American Dream Stories because, you know, being a child of one and watching my mother grow a business from the basement of our house to now $250 million worth of revenue, it always kind of uh, amazes me to see uh, what type of entrepreneurs and what type of spaces people are in. And this one is somebody that took it, uh, a couple taking it from a laundry room with virtually no money, no experience in their industry, and was able in 2005 to sell to one of the largest uh, uh, private uh, gr- uh, private equity groups in that space. Joining us today is Michael and Bonnie, the founders of uh, Unbelievable Wine, Barefoot Wine, number one selling wine in America in 2018 with $668 million of revenue. Bonnie, Michael, welcome to uh, welcome to HIT. Thank you, Chris. Thank you very much. We are so happy to be here to talk to your audience, share our story. Well, we're super excited about sharing it. So let's let's get a little bit of the background. I mean, Barefoot Wines, uh, how did you start? Laundry room, no money, no experience. <laughs> well, it's kind of crazy. We kind of fell into it backwards. We took advantage of an opportunity. Wine was never a passion that we had. But I was a consultant, as was Michael, here in Sonoma County, the wine country. And I had a client. I was organizing his office, and I saw that he hadn't been paid for his grapes for three years. So it was a considerable sum of money, $300,000. And I asked for the contract, and he said, well, actually, I have weight tags for my grapes and a handshake. I said, well, let's send it upstairs to the big boy here, and I sent it to my new boyfriend. I said, why don't you go out and collect (laughs) $300,000? So that didn't go well either. The day I showed up, they declared bankruptcy. Uh, But I was able to trade them for $300,000 worth of bulk wine and bottling services. So they basically paid us with wine in bottles without labels, without a marketing program, without a distribution program, you know, nothing. Uh, but we thought, well, how hard could that be and how long could that take? Ignorance is bliss, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> so fast forward 20 years, we have the fastest growing wine brand in the country. Well, it's kind of interesting. I mean, you think about this, uh, you know, no experience, you know, you didn't even really want to kind of get into the wine business and then you fell into it. And then it really became from that point, you had to, you really had to make something out of this because you had $300,000 that you're owed. How, how did you come up with the whole concept or the name around barefoot, you know, wine, barefoot spirits? We went out and asked questions of everybody that touches wine products. We asked the bottling line manager. We asked the forklift driver. We asked the store clerk who's replenishing products on the shelf. What do you see moving the fastest and what challenges do you have? Mm-hmm. And Michael went into the marketplace and asked the number one buyer of the super of wine in the supermarkets here in California what he wanted. And uh, that was really the first big lesson was the response we got from what do you want? And the wine buyer said, no one's ever asked me what I wanted before. Everyone comes in here and pushes what they've got onto me. Imagine that. Nobody asked the biggest buyer what he wanted. But he told us what he wanted. He said he wanted it in a big bottle. He wanted two varietals in the same label. 
He wanted it to be visible, jump off the shelf. So she, which we found out females are the biggest buyers in the supermarkets of wine. So she can see it when she's pushing her cart down the aisle. He wanted the name the same as the logo. He wanted no French. He was pretty adamant about that. Don't give me any more chateaus. <laughs> and he um, he wanted something that was friendly that people could remember. So we took all of that and the other advice that we'd gotten from the other people that we'd talked to, and suddenly it all kind of fell into place. <laughs> you know, it's, it's amazing how many people do not listen and everybody wants to sell these days. They want to push their product. They want to give their 30-second elevator speech. They want to do – and nobody asks, like, the golden rule. Like, what do you want as the buyer? I mean, what do you want as the person that's going to be, you know, taking this product? And and so basically yeah. you went in there. You were like, hey, I, educate me, but I want to know what you want because I want to be a, I want to be a customer or I want you to be a customer myself. See, so one of the problems that we had was that we weren't from the wine industry, but it turned out to be our greatest asset mm -hmm. because the fact that we weren't from the industry humbled us and we had to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And because we asked questions and because we asked questions, not just of the white collar workers, but of the blue collar workers, we got some real insight that many people in the industry never saw. And, and that kind of, you know, true grit is what barefoot came from. So how did so tell me a little bit about the growth trajectory over, you know, when when you went in, you met, you listened, all of a sudden you you get barefoot wines, it's starting to get into, you know, the local grocery stores, it's starting to get there. What was the what was the growth trajectory? How did you have to sell this and and, and get distribution? Well, it, it started off the sales curve was about like this. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> not happening um michael go ahead you started in san francisco writing with the the salesmen and calling on accounts well little counts yeah. what we found out and what a lot of startups find out uh after say a couple of months is that they're not really in the business of the product they've created they're they find themselves in a whole nother business like we thought we were in the wine business you know sip swirl, you know, uh, say a few words in French, talk about mid-notes, forget How about it. Forget, it was all about merchandising at the store level. Get down on your knees, get out the pricing gun, put prices on your <laughs> own products that have been through two or three people's hands to get to, to there and ask yourself, why am I the CEO of the com company doing this kind of work? And the answer is, or else you're not going to get a sale on the buyer's screen. <laughs> so, so basically, you are you are playing a screen. <laughs> you're so you're playing everything. You're playing CEO. You're playing store clerk. You're playing shopper. You're playing you know marketer. You're the glue. Oh yeah, my! You're goodness. the glue. If you want to succeed, you have to first of all be humble enough to say, well, what do I have to do? And yeah. then you have to be really humble and say. I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but most people say, oh, no, I never signed up for that. Or somebody else is going to take care of that. Or, you know, they try to kid themselves and they try to simplify the business into the proposition, which is, hey, I got gold medal winning wine here. Got a cute label. What the heck? The price is right. Why won't you guys kick down windows and knock down doors to get to me? Yeah. And the answer is you can't get it to them. 
<laughs> well, let me ask you this. So how did, how did, uh, so basically you're going out there, you're meeting with the small accounts all of a sudden, what, uh, what year did you really start seeing it start to, you know, go from flat to having sort of increase to, was it a hockey stick? Was it gradual growth? You hear all these different types of, you know, yeah. star rocketing types of businesses and you hear the ones that gradually climb. What, what, how would you define your growth? Well, our growth was pretty much arithmetic. That means it was, you know, so much a year. But then when it really started to curve up was in the early 2000s. And that was because we had finally figured out exactly what we had to do to make it grow throughout the nation and the world mm -hmm. in terms of distribution management, in terms of what the big boys required. And, you know, again, this had nothing to do with wine. Mm -hmm. um, it mm -hmm. had to do with handling any product. I mean, today, Bonnie and I are consultants and we're advisors to people who are starting businesses. Most of these businesses, they have product or software they're trying to sell, mm -hmm. but they don't really focus on what it takes to sell it. They focus on the product. Yeah. So it what we found that we had to do was to have our own representative on our payroll in every area where our product was sold. Yeah. And their job was to manage the distributor and all the personnel in the distributor that were handling our wine and make sure they didn't run out in their warehouse and to go to the re retailers and make sure the product made it from the back shelf, uh, back room onto the shelf and to make friends with the store clerk. So when our salesperson wasn't there, the store clerk would bring it out. Yep. And also to go into the communities and find out what the communities were interested in and support their local fundraisers. Yep. And that's how we got it all the way from the distributor right down to the end user was by supporting the neighborhood's concerns. Well, you know, it's interesting. So you, you have this business, you're growing it. Everything is uh, going really well. You're, you know, you're, it's all grit, it seems like, and, and, and making the way into the distribution channels. So all of a sudden, 2004, 2005 come, you decide, hey, um, maybe, you know, were you seeking to get out of the, of the business? Was this the right time for you? Or was it just somebody come with a blank check and said, Hey, listen, we love what you're doing. We love your product and we'd like to buy you because Gallo is a very large, you know, uh, group of, uh, of, of wines that they've amassed. Um, so what was it? Well, I'd say the biggest mistake that people make is they think that Mr. Big is going to come knocking on their door. It never, it never occurs to them that they have to get their peanut in front of that elephant. And, and that is the real art of transaction. You have to, first of all, you pick your acquirer, they don't pick you. Secondly, you have to do things strategically to get their attention. Now you remember, you know, Bonnie and I, we thought we were going to clear a debt and we we're going to go down the road. So we had it in mind to sell it from day one, but nobody would buy it because <laughs> we hadn't achieved the uh, acquisition metrics for our category of product and for our price point of product. So for our category, which was uh, fighting varietal and our price point, which was five, six, ninety nine, we had to be over a half a million cases a year 
in order to even attract any buyer. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't take us seriously. Now, we didn't know that for the first five years, see? Yeah. <laughs> so now we advise our, our clients, you know, please take a broker to lunch and, you know, ask them a bunch of questions. And one of them is, how big does my business have to be before anybody will look at it? Yeah. And that's a great question because the answer is your goals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically you, you, you take it and, and you and you sold in 2005 and to, to Gallo and you, look, you got in front of them. They, they must have seen you because I know that I have millions of people that attend our parties and, you know, around the world. And I know in the U.S. for sure that there's a lot of barefoot that's been drink at, at pure romance parties. Um, you know, they like <laughs> to get their product. They like to have it at, at their shows. Um, you know, so you, you sell and so what now, what, what are you doing now, uh, inside of, you know, with all this knowledge, all this expertise of growing one of the, you know, I think one of the best wine marketing brands that's out there. Well, the first thing we did was we wrote a book about our experience. It's called the barefoot spirit, yep. how hardship, hustle, and heart built America's number one wine brand. Mm -hmm. And we did that on the advice of the people that worked for us. Mm -hmm. They said that this is very unique, the way that you have company culture and built a team that all work together. And you've really got to share that with others. So we wrote the book. It became a New York Times mm -hmm. bestseller. Yep. And then we really wanted to share it with students. So we went traveling to over 60 universities that teach entrepreneurship throughout the world and talked to the students that were studying that, thinking of going into their own business. Because we really want to share the lessons that we learned that were so hard and expensive and stressful to learn <laughs> so they can succeed faster. Yeah. Well, then it comes around to looking about the people that are uh, in their 20s and 30s and they're all wearing earbuds. Mm. And we said, well, if they're wearing buds and they're not reading the book because we've got the paperback bestseller, then we'd better put our book in an audio book so we can continue to reach the greatest number of people. So we were able to find a great group of, of professional actors, a troupe in, in um, Hollywood and they acted out the parts of our audio book because there's a lot of dialogue. Our book is all stories. It's not prescriptive text. It's all the real stories that we did. So then we had an audio book. It's called The Barefoot Spirit, yep. How Hardship, Hustle, and Heart Build America's Number One Wine Brand. And we've just released it recently. So we've gotten wonderful reviews on it and it's really very entertaining it's a totally new format for audiobook and um now what we're doing is we're offering that format to other business founders who want to keep the spirit of their own company alive what it took to start the company what their philosophies are what their mission statement means and how it came about so we're very happy to have this uh, product, which is the Barefoot Spirit audiobook, as an example of what founders can use as a new form of training tool. I'd just like to add something to that, what Bonnie said, and that is that most audiobooks are narrated. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe it's a movie actor that's narrating it, but you better like the narrator because you're stuck <laughs> with them for six or seven hours. 
And we said, you know, it can be single dimensional and it can be boring. How can we make this more exciting and fun? Just like Barefoot Wine. And we said, well, instead of telling people, let's perform it for them. Mm -hmm. So we perform these scenes and skits and conversations back and forth. And you become part of it. You, you're there. You're listening to this go down. And instead of having somebody say, now, here are the points, you just basically pick it up. Yep. because you're listening to a story. Mm -hmm. So we believe the best way to convey business principle is through story, and the best way to convey story is through dramatic acting. Well, I have a clip. Am I allowed to play a clip? Because I think it was really cool when I got to hear this. So I'm going to go ahead and play this, and you might hear it. Um, I'm assuming you will. On I'm, I'm looking at my audio people, and they're saying, yep, here we go. If there was a barefooter in the area, and state laws allowed it, Randy would send the barefooter to the house to make the delivery. Hi, I'm from Barefoot. I heard you got a bad cork. The people at the door would have their jaws hanging open. Here's another bottle. And here are a couple t-shirts. Have a nice evening. Oh, gee. Thanks. Some of the calls were so good, Randy would play them on the answering machine at Barefoot's office. My lovely wife and I are enjoying a nice glass of your cab. We're both barefoot. Not only that. We're both naked. Later, I'm going to drink some wine from her shoe. When he could, Randy called back quickly, though he generally steered clear of people drinking from their shoes. He picked up a message one Friday evening from a party in Chicago. The caller said they loved the wine and made everyone take their shoes off before they phoned. Randy called back. Hi, my name is Randy. I'm from Barefoot Wine. The barefoot guy. How good was that? A salesman returning a phone call got turned into a superhero. It also got him the permanent nickname, the barefoot guy. I just called to say, I'm glad to hear you're having a good time. Thanks for drinking barefoot. Hey, everyone, he said, thanks for drinking barefoot. People at that Chicago party started cheering. Randy could hear the whoops and yays. Oh, we love That doesn't sound particularly groundbreaking in this current hyper-connected world when making personal connections is a mainstream business tactic, but it was new then, and it came from thinking the way any business needs to think. You know, I listened to that and I thought, what a great, you know, way to share a message, make sure that, you know, it was entertaining, it was great, and you, you, you felt like you're, you know, listening uh, to a movie. Exactly, the movie's in your brain. It's 3D audio. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what we love about it, Chris, is, you know, it's purely mobile. You know, the problem with text and video is it immobilizes your mobile device. But you can jog and drive, you know, and listen to an episode or two from the barefoot spirit and on your way to work. And you can get a chuckle and you can learn a lesson or two. You know, what What do you think, you know, now, you know, seeing and, and going to the 60 plus schools and, and talking to a lot of business entrepreneurs, people getting into, you know, wanting to start their own business. What do you see, you know, with your expertise of some of the mistakes that people are making or or things that they might not be thinking about when they do want to execute their own business? I think the most common mistake is people fall in love with their own product. Mm. And they think because everyone they know falls in love with their product, that it's going to sell. But as we mentioned before, 
what you really have to understand as a producer is how to get through the distribution system. Mm -hmm. It's not so much what your end user wants, it's how do you get it to them? And what does your distributor want? What does the distributor sales manager want? Mm -hmm. Their salespeople. What does the retailer want? Well, the retailer wants something colorful in his wine department in our industry, so we'd give him colorful point of sale material. And the retailer wants a product that's gonna move quickly and not collect dust on the shelf. And that's what we were able to give him. He wants uh, a company who's interested in bringing consumers, buyers into his shop. Mm -hmm. We went into the community and supported their causes and put little notes, neck tags on our bottle advertising these local fundraisers so that benefited the the retailer because he was a bigger part of the community and brought people into his store and into uh into the nonprofit that maybe they didn't know about that there was this fundraiser so you've got to take care of everybody's needs along the way and it's putting yourself in the other guy's shoes it's not enough to have the best product in your category And it's not really about you or your product. Mm -hmm. It's about what the other guy wants and how you can satisfy their needs. Yeah. Yeah. I would just, I would just add to that, that uh, the biggest mistake I think that I see people making is they don't understand what the real work is. You know, they think, oh, I'm going to go into this business. You know, I better buy this. I better buy that. And so they tend to want to throw money at production and bricks and mortar. And what they really need to do is they need to make sales happen. They need to focus on sales. (laughs) And, you know, sales earn bricks and mortar, not the other way around. It is so funny. I, you know, it's kind of a little of, of a Jack Welshism, but you know, activity, 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 and you know, and it's it's interesting when you look back there and you're sitting there in the, in the barefoot spirit, right? I'm looking right at that, you know, hustle and heart, and 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 that is what builds, you know, not just America's number one wine brand. That builds America's, you know, great companies. It builds, you know, great um, uh, institutions. And and also, you know, a lot of people don't look at themselves, you know, that listen. And I talk a lot about that to entrepreneurs is, you know, people don't buy product. They buy people. They buy you. They buy how you operate with them. They buy how you, you know, you support them and you you follow up with them and you, and you treat them part of your, your family. And that's when I when I was reading some of the things of, on 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 this uh, interview, I was just amazed by because I see that's exactly how you really you built this because you cared uh, and you listened and most people uh, today you know need to use both of these because that's why we have them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely that's right. true. Yeah. So here, my my question would be is you know as as if somebody out there wants to do this because there's a lot of people that have stories to tell that listen to the podcast that, you know, own businesses, right? And they are, you know, trying to figure out how they keep that message alive, how they can make sure they do this. How would they be able to, what would you be able to do? Like if you took pure romance, right? Like if you, you would be able to tell our stories about how we were, you know, take care of our customers and, and you'd make it and hire me some really great actresses, maybe like, you know, Meryl Street. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the thing, the thing is the, in the production outline, the first thing we do is we meet with our clients and we understand what their purpose is. What do they really want out of this? Now, some people uh, might just want to have a legacy. 
Uh, other people, it might be vanity. But some people, they might want it as an onboarding tool. And some people, they might want to use it to build their brand. And maybe some other people, they want to sell an audiobook. So that's the first thing we determined. And then we tried to determine, you know, some obvious things like how long it's going to be and whatnot. Are we going to have a musical score? Are we going to have sound effects? Uh, you know, how many characters are there? And how can we take their story and break it down into a series of scenes where there's dialogue? Now, you got to remember, we're not telling people about what made this business be a success. We're showing it to them. Right. You know, and we're showing it to them through audio cinematography. Oh, I love that. I'm telling you, it was it is so creative, and it's one of those things. When I came across, I I, I couldn't believe how it was such a well told story, and and I really felt like I was in it. So, um, I, I've got to give you you know massive kudos. This is like a second act, right? I mean, you're taking all the information that you've learned uh, with your first successful venture. Now, you know, going into this uh, venture is amazing. For any of the entrepreneurs that are out there that are listening, you know, we talked about high intensity, and uh, and we you know. We really, uh, I believe in that because we took a company from a million four, four to eight, eight to 16, 16 to 32. It's it pretty rapid. You know, what is the one thing that you would say as far as uh, for the entrepreneurs that are out there, any advice you could give them on, on, you know, scaling and, you know, how to be either patient or to be, you know, kind of like, you know, what, what should somebody be looking for today? Well, so many people are saying... You know, scale fast, fail fast. We do not believe that at all. You don't want to fail any place in the market because then you'll get the reputation of being a failure. And it's really not necessary. Get the reputation of being a huge success and do it in your own neighborhood. Michael likes to say you don't want to start in a neighborhood, in, in an area that's larger than where you can drive to apologize and get back home in the same day. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. That's part of learning. Mm -hmm. If you're not making mistakes, you're not learning. But making mistakes is not failing. Yeah. But it is what you want to do in a small area so you can learn the process that you have to go through to make your, your product successful in a larger area. So we say take, make sure that you've got your act together before you take it on the road. Yeah, you have to remember that most businesses who make it through the startup phase and make it through the build-up phase where they have one or two big clients that are just edging them into the black and they're paying their bills, but they got them over the barrel because these big clients know that they can you know, extort them for lower fees and lower prices. So they say, you know what, I need more clients so they expand and that's where most businesses fail it's because they have underestimated what it took to get that first round of clients paying them every month and they don't understand the cost of sales they understand the cost of goods oh they know the cost of goods but the cost of sales how much does it cost to take ed out for lunch you know, in mm -hmm. Cincinnati once a quarter or he won't buy your products anymore. Uh, what about the flight to uh, Cincinnati? Do you need a hotel? Uh, I know this sounds dumb. Do you rent a car? Mm -hmm. You add that all up and you go, oh, that's that's about 3,000 bucks to do that, to take Ed out to lunch. 
right? And then you start to say, well, how much do I make on every download or every product I'm selling? And then you start to th pencil it out. And so the idea is like Bonnie says, start small, make your mistakes in a small place, understand what it costs to support the sales you've made. That's the cost of sales. What does it cost? And what does it cost to stay in the market? When you figure that out, then when you expand, we highly recommend that you get a cost accountant. That's not, not a general books account. You need him too. But a cost accountant is going to say something to you like, hey, you know, Michael and Bonnie, if you sell your product in South Carolina, it's a whole lot cheaper than if you sell it in New York City. And so we go to South Carolina, mm. see, and they don't even know who we are in, in New York City, but we don't care because we have to pay our bills. <laughs> that happened to be the last place we sold was New York. Yeah, by the way. <laughs> that, well, that does, you know what, can I tell you, I am super excited in, in, that you were able to share this with us today. You know, our listeners here at HIT, um, you know, appreciate your time, appreciate the, the story. We love to see, you know, growth stories like this. We love to be able to see that people are still out there and what you're doing for entrepreneurs, what the, you know, uh, what you're doing for businesses and with new ideas, new ways and staying innovative is, is amazing. And I just want to tell you, thank you so much for that today. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, Chris. That's very nice. Well, we appreciate this. Thanks so much for tuning in to HIT today. Remember, you have always had the tool. Make sure you go out there and use it. Remember, live life by design, not by default. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you. Go out there, rate, review, and hey, follow these guys. Barefoot, spirit. I love it.